Hello everyone, welcome to Malcast episode 14. Back by popular demand, we have our resident history teacher, Brock Blessman. And back from his honeymoon, believe it or not, Patrick motherfucking Redman, guys. He's back, he's married, and and his wife has allowed him to be on this stream. So, people are dying to hear from you. They haven't seen you in a couple weeks. Patrick, take it away. I'm glad to be here. Uh... You know, I'm, I'm upset that you guys decided to go without me the other day, but, you know, I, I've come back with a vengeance. So I've got a couple topics to, to discuss history-wise. Um, Brock, you've already introduced yourself, I presume, right? Yeah, yep. Okay, good. I just want to make sure that people know you. All right. So I'm going to dive right in here. And uh, I know you guys were talking about a lot of history stuff, a lot of serious topics. Brock, are you familiar with the Doherty Martinovic incident? Never heard of that before. Okay. <laughs> So the Dorde Martinovic, and I could be pronouncing this guy's name wrong. So Dorde, I'm just going to call him that from now on, uh, was a Serbian farmer from Kosovo who essentially started the civil war there um, by the forceful insertion of a glass bottle into his anus. (laughs) (laughs) So... There's James, d- could you demonstrate with your glass bottle, actually? Yeah, sure. Here, hold on. Let me. Uh, All right. No. Let me. Well, let me just mark this as adults only, and then <laughs> yeah. we'll get. Um. So, it is just under dispute for obvious reasons, but th- the way that the story is presented is on May first, nineteen eighty-five. Dorde, who's fifty-six years old at the time, who resided in the Kosovo town of Gilan or something like that. Went to the hospital, and he had a broken bottle stuck in his butt. So if anyone's familiar with glass ass, similar situation to that. Uh, He had claimed that he had been attacked by two Albanian men while working in his field, and they shoved a bottle up his butt, (laughs) effectively. Because that's that's the first thing that I do when I come across a farmer. Exactly, yeah. Farmer, you know... Where they got the bottle, we're not entirely sure, but that was his story when he was at when he was at the hospital. Then he was interrogated by a army colonel, and he admitted that his injuries were actually self-inflicted in a botched attempt at masturbation. Uh, so investigators into the incident reported, and I quote, the prosecutor had made a written conclusion from which it appears that the wounded performed an act of self-satisfaction in his field. He put a beer bottle on a wooden stick and stuck it in the ground. After that, he sat on the bottle and enjoyed. (laughs) This was all in the police report. Um, So that, he then walked back that statement saying that it was actually a forced confession. And there were doctors that were investigating this that said that the injuries that were were caused by a strong, brutal, and sudden insertion or jamming of a 500-milliliter bottle, or rather its wider end, into the rectum. So if you take a beer bottle, you know you have the neck going up, and you you drink out of that. Flip it on its side, and then that was shoved into a broom handle, and then that was shoved up his butt. So it's not the thin thin end, it's actually the big end, which was shoved in. Uh, So... They argued that it was physically impossible for Dorde to have done this to himself and that it, it had to have been carried out by at least two or more individuals. Second opinion said, no, you could have just shoved it in the ground and he sat on it and his weight would have caused this, uh, you know, the, the force enough to do this. So I want to meet the medical experts that were arguing <laughs> as to this as well, to this case. The, the thing was that these people, uh, so the Albanians versus the Serbians, were they're in like super, you know, angry at each other. It was very, very hot situation, and this essentially tipped the scales because it spread like wildfire. There were stories coming out saying that Alba- Albanian terrorists effectively were just hunting down Serbs and shoving bottles up their ass and just going going ham, and uh, that basically started. Uh, like a civil war that I believe ended in like 2000 or something like that. I'm not entirely sure. Didn't they just sign like another peace treaty last year or something? 
it's something like that. Uh, let me let me let me look up the. the so in uh, in the meantime, um, yeah. Okay, so so the the war actually lasted from 1991 to 2001. So let me get this straight. On the one hand, I do something stupid, injure myself, and I can admit to it. Or yeah. I can start a decade-long civil war that results in <sighs> how many thousands of deaths? I, 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 let me see. Um, I want to know when this farmer died. Like, did he get forced to serve and fight in this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so total deaths is 130 to 140,000 deaths with 4 million people displaced. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not quite uh, sure how you come back from that one. As the like, guy, I'm not sure how you come back from it. So so the war ended in 2001, right? This guy died in 2000, 2000. So September 6th, 2000. So he did not get to see the end of the war. So to his knowledge, it was going on at the time. Was uh, he a part of it? Did he partake in the war? Or I, I don't he... know. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It doesn't say anything here with with my research that he's he partook in the war. I mean, he was fifty six years old, so I would imagine if he did, it would be on like a lower, you know, risk thing. There, and usually, farmers were kept out of war because they still needed food provided for yeah. the army. So. Uh, I would imagine. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it, it's it's fairly interesting that that this incident really raised the temperature enough that they that they went to war effectively <laughs> so um well i think that speaks more to you know I, most civil wars ours not necessarily included um yeah. starts with you know years of people hating each other and then just one tiny flashpoint i think the american civil war is the exception to like every single rule in well case. okay so i want to give you guys the reactions okay okay to, to this case at the time. So this this case was met with a ton of just nationalistic, anti-Albanian stuff flying around in Serbian circles. Um, so uh, Yugoslavia at the time, which was what, what this was, uh, was communist and very um, against open nationalism. And this this nationalistic sentiment following this incident obviously conflicted with that to a, a large degree. Then also this <laughs> brought into a religious aspect um, because Serb nationalist ideologues, intellectuals, and politicians argued that this was actually a Muslim affair and that the it was Muslims because Muslims have a penchant for sodomy, according to these people. I'm not saying that they do. I'm just saying that according to these Serbian nationalists, they do. And they argued that effectively Muslims are fixated in the anal phase of their so psychosocial development and are therefore characterized by general aggressiveness and an obsession with precision and cleanliness. And so, and that reinforced this idea of the Albanians mistreating uh, Serbian Christians. While the Albanian-run Kosovo government was, you know, ignoring this whole thing, so Albanians, on the other hand, responded saying, "No, this guy's gay, and he was masturbating, and he inflicted the wound on himself, and blamed Albanian." Brings me, you know, uh, not necessarily in the same context, but brings me to the idea of the juicy smolier situation that we had uh, about a year or so ago, where the guy claimed to be attacked in Chicago, which is apparently now MAGA country, which... Good old Juicy. I'm, I'm from that area. I can tell you it's not MAGA country, uh, for sure. <laughs> but Juicy was just <laughs> saying it's effectively the same thing. Although he wasn't caught masturbating. Uh, but I'm sure, considering the fact that he's gay, he wouldn't be necessarily opposed to this, this type. Uh, I'm sure he would do it in a much more safe manner than a broom handle and a bottle of beer. Where, 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 where are you going with this, Patrick? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just bringing it, bringing it to the fore, bringing it to the fore. Um, but yeah, it, the responses are absolutely hilarious. Just on one side, it's like diving deep into these cultural divides. The other side's like, nah, he just masturbated. Like, get over it. Well, so this <laughs> this took place like right after the fall of the Soviet Union, too. Yeah. So you mentioned that Yugoslavia oh, it was, was like during. 
like the Soviet Union kind of falling apart. Yeah, so you, you mentioned nice. that the uh, that Yugoslavia was communist. Well, if the Soviet Union wasn't falling apart, they probably would have stepped in and ended the civil war here too. Yeah. Well, well, the civil war probably no, would never have started because those people would have been disappeared. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, this this discussion of sodomy brings me on my next topic. But Brock, do you have anything you want to say about? No, I'm just enjoying this one. I don't... As an actual historian, what's your opinion on this? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. People do stupid shit every day, everywhere. Yeah. And I don't know. A lot of the stuff we talked about last last time, James, was just, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just another point against masturbation because it might start a civil war. You never know. Yep. If you get caught, you know, you have two options. Either admit that you're masturbating or, you know, you cause a civil war that has 130,000 to 140,000 deaths. If you, take, if you take anything away from this from this podcast, <laughs> it's that masturbation causes civil war. Yep, that's exactly that is a fact. Quit uh, today, you're part of the problem. <laughs> so, speaking of masturbation, this brings me to the story of Margaret Howell Levat, uh, who in the 1960s took part in a NASA-funded research project where she tried to teach a dolphin named Peter how to uh, speak as a like human speech. Because mm-hmm. so dolphins are smart. Uh, and you might be saying, okay, Patrick, you're kind of a crazy guy, but how does masturbation using a broom handle and a beer bottle relate to teaching a dolphin English? And I'm like, I'm glad you asked, because I'm sure that was <laughs> number one on your list. Oh, no, I got the very obvious connection. You haven't got it yet, James? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm still wondering, but I mean, oh, okay. enlighten me. I'm, I'm, I'm too innocent for this topic. So, so this, this lady, when she was in her 20s, lived in a Caribbean island where she built uh, a dolphinarium in 1964. Um, so she uh, was doing a, a study, right, like I saying, to try to teach a dolphin how to speak because dolphins are rather intelligent, as far as animals go, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was, like, reading to him, and she spent a lot of time physically with the dolphin from, like, birth till, you know, adulthood, right? But the problem is, it's a male dolphin, and when they become an adolescent, you know, puberty hits dolphins, similar to how puberty hits humans, as far as I'm aware. I'm not a biologist, but, you know, common sense, right? Um, So the dolphins started to get very physically aggressive with um, Margaret (laughs) and wanted to, like, have sex, right? Because, you know, its hormones are raging and everything. So her first response was to... uh, bring the dolphin to co- on conjugal visits to two females named Sissy and uh, Pamela um, and essentially let Peter have sex with those dolphins so then it would stop attacking her. Right. While dolphin living. pimp as you do. Yeah, like which is like, okay, you know, that makes sense that, you know, you're trying to, you know, do that. And the dolphin calmed down and it was much nicer to her and, and everything like that after these conjugal visits. However, uh, <laughs> It was like very logistically difficult for uh, Margaret to keep doing this, and it was also uh, made the actual phys- lessons a lot harder to do because then the dolphin just wanted to go have sex with other dolphins. So, in a stroke of bre- genius, she started jerking off the dolphin, um, <laughs> and then uh, so this is what she said regarding this. Uh, she was relieving Peter's urges herself, stating, it wasn't sexual on my part. Sensuous, perhaps. It seemed to me that made the bond closer. Not because of the sexual activity, but because of the lack of having to keep breaking. And that's really all it was. I was there to get to know Peter. That was part of Peter. It would just become part of what was going on, like an itch. Just get rid of that scratch and we'd be done and move on. I would like to point out, the Twitch chat currently says, podcast, quote, let's have a history going on and talk about history. Patrick, let's talk about dolphins coming. <laughs> well, well, I, this has happened in history, and I want to get Brock's uh, opinion on it. Um, I have no opinion. I am speechless. That's all kinds of just... Uh... Brock, is, Brock is not legally allowed to have an opinion on this topic. Yeah, uh, for the sake of my job, uh, I'm going to abstain. No, I, that's crazy. Yeah, that's I'm, but I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. It's not even as maximum crazy yet. So... Then, um, what she decided to do was it was she was still wasn't getting anywhere with this ma- dolphin masturbation. So, uh, in addition to this, uh, Lily or 
who I don't know who Lily. Oh, John. This, so this is the other guy in there. Sorry, I forgot to mention she was partnered with another dude. Right, who, John. Yeah, I remember John. Yeah, John. Um, who John C. Lilly is his name. John was funded to research the effects of LSD. So he decided to. So he had been taking the drug on his, or he'd been testing. Sorry, testing the drug on his subject dolphins. But there's nothing happening. You couldn't really tell. So uh, he decided that it would be a good idea for Margaret and the dolphin to start dropping LSD to see if that progressed both studies at the same time. Like she was doing LSD with a dolphin while jerking it off. So that was that was what we decided to spend our money on. I was going to say, and this was funded by NASA. Yeah, NASA funded this. The this U.S. Week. taxpayer <laughs> funded this experiment. If you pay taxes in 1964 to 1966, I believe it was, you fund, in part, you funded dolphin sex and dolphin and human LSD trials. It sounds like a Seth Rogen movie plot. It definitely does. But this is history. This is what history is. Uh, no, history is literally a Seth Rogen movie. That's all it is. Did they find any results, though? Like, could the dolphin speak? No, not at all. <laughs> find anything. There might be an oh, issue with the vocal cords there. So the results are actually kind of sad because the build so the building lacked a lot of space and sunlight and Peter actually was committed suicide by drowning. Oof. The, wait, Peter, that was the name of the dolphin, right? Yes. The dolphin killed himself. Um because so effectively that's dark. Um if, if this is what uh someone commented on with the situation, uh he said uh, Rick O'Berry, who's a dolphin activist, says dolphins are not automatic air breathers like we are. So, like, we consciously will, you know, or we will subconsciously rather just breathe on a regular basis because we don't live in water, right? Uh, but for dolphins, they physically have to focus on, on breathing constantly if they're, you know, up to the surface, right? And they can just decide if life becomes too unbearable that they just take a breath and sink to the bottom and then just don't breathe again. And the dolphin actually committed suicide. This kind of just got much, much darker. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so that was the story of Margaret uh, Lowe with with her dolphin buddy. I'd like to imagine. Well, one that'd be a crazy dolphin show for them to add at SeaWorld. But like, I'd like, I'd like <laughs> to imagine. <laughs> I'd like to imagine when people stormed Area Fifty One. Well, if they had the, they break in. The first thing they see is bullshit like this, where it's just this lady with a dolphin. Dolphin sex, and that's the picture I painted. Dolphin LSD. I, I could see it honestly. Like I, you know, I bet in twenty years we're gonna find out like stupid shit that they're doing. I believe, um, last I had heard was that we were actually, and I think it was like twenty seventeen or something like that. We actually were funding studies on the reproductive reproduction rate of like gerbils or something. It was like ten million dollars to do that. I don't understand the guy. I, I, okay, so I understand I, research. I remember this somehow. I, I don't have I don't have it pulled up, but I I remember it happening. I understand researching things. I don't understand government funding going to the researching of these things. Yeah, I don't. I. I don't. I. I'm not entirely sure. What is what is the? the All right. Of, all right, Brock. Does this does this remind you anything of the Roman Republic? <laughs> what I have not made the connection <laughs> at all. Well, uh, I mean, if we're talking about sodomy, I mean, I guess. Oh yeah, I mean that makes sense. That um, reminds me plenty of the Roman Republic. Yes. So Fun obviously that that was a that was just a failure, right? Yes. Uh, I've got another topic to bring up, but well, uh, hang on, you, hang on. Before we uh, before we jump onto that, because yeah, you dropped I'm the Roman like, 10 of these to go through. I, I believe it. But you brought up the Roman Republic. And, of course, I'm a huge Caesar fan. So, yes. got a little the fun fact. Sodomy with dolphins. It, not dolphins. However, the king of Bithynia. <laughs> not, not dolphins. So, um, Caesar spent some time as uh, at the court of the king of Bithynia, which was a Roman client kingdom in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, up top corner there. And... Uh, there were rumors going around back in Rome that he and the king of Bithynia had some intimate relationships or relations. Well, and 
the this wasn't a problem typically in Rome, Greece, whatever. We all know that you know homosexuality was fairly common back then. Yeah. What was and what the rumor was? It wasn't just that he was having relations with uh, with the king of Bithynia, but it was that he was the bottom, and that that was the issue. Ah. Back then, so Caesar spent exorbitant amounts of money counter- countering this rumor. Not that he had these relations, but that he was the bottom. <laughs> that I love. I, I just it's like no, no, no. Yeah, of course I was having these relations. But you, I'm not a bottom. <laughs> of course not. I, I was topping the king of Bithynia. If, hey, hey, if Caesar wants to be the small spoon, let Caesar be the small spoon. Yeah, Caesar's a power bottom confirmed. <laughs> All right. I mean, what? Do you, what what what's up, Patrick? Uh, yeah, no, okay. So I've got another one. So uh, have you guys heard of the 1904 Olympics? Um, well, what are the Olympics, Pat? Could you please elaborate? The well, the Olympics are a series of like physical, uh, you know, endeavors to prove who the best is in the world and whatever that is. Uh, that's a terrible explanation for it. But uh, <laughs> uh, so the the marathon took place. And here's a couple of here's a couple of takeaways from this marathon. The first place finisher did most of the race in a car. The guy in second almost died from rat poison. And the oh the third, okay. And the fourth place finisher raced in dress pants and shoes, and then took a nap by the side of the road for part of the race. Uh, you're familiar with this, James? I, I the, not the not the um, first and fourth place, but when you mentioned the rat poison, yeah, okay, yeah. that that yeah. that that clicked. This okay. is a new one for me. Yeah, so, I, this is just a train wreck of just terribleness. Okay, so the entire course was super dusty, right? And that caused all kinds of injuries, including uh, internal hemorrhaging, uh, because the dust actually tore open some dude's esophagus and stomach, um, which is not healthy, <laughs> to say the least. Um, then also the organizer purposely withheld water because apparently he wanted to test the effects of dehydration. Um, which is not something you want to do in the middle of the Olympics, in the middle of the Olympics in a marathon while it was hella dusty, not something you want to do. The first place finisher hitched a ride in a car to the end of the course after he was struck with serious cramping. He claimed he did it as a joke. But he did get awarded the medal. Uh, what country was he from? Uh, his name was Fred Lors. So I can look that up. That sounds American. Yeah, it does sound American. Uh, Maybe English. Yeah, yeah he's an American long-distance runner. <laughs> so the Americans won in 1904 because we, drove, because we carried our guy in a car. What a Chad move. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm looking him up now. He is known for his finish in the ninth in the marathon at the nineteen oh four Summer Olympics for not having crossed the halfway mark and still winning. So he won. So he stopped running after nine miles, and then his manager gave him a lift in his car and drove <laughs> eleven miles. After which he continued on foot back to the Olympic Stadium, where he broke the finishing line tape and was greeted as the winner of the race. Oh my god. So this is 1904 okay. too. So we're talking like dinky little cars too. So he won. He was declared the winner and then he gave it up and then Thomas Hicks who's the rat poison guy uh became the real winner. He <laughs> too <laughs> had a really bad race because what ended up happening for him was he was given a mixture of egg whites and strychnine which is a poison used to kill rodents or birds as an attempt at a performance enhancing drug. He was across the finish line by his handlers. <laughs> so he, he, was like, he was like, I got a great idea, guys. I'll never win because these guys are using cars and shit, and there's no way I'm going to be able to beat that. How are you supposed to beat a car as a long-distance runner? I don't know. It's not gonna. It's not going to work out for you, I can tell you that much. I mean, at least rat poison was a logical assumption. Yeah, like rat oh, poison, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I'm going to work out in vibe. Because it kills rats, so it's got to make me run faster, right? That's the logic, right? You know, going on here. And so he took strychnine and then, like, collapsed because he poisoned himself. Did he die or was he okay? No, he won. Like, he was fine, I think. Okay, that's good. That's good. You... Uh... So what happened to everybody else in the race? The dude who took rat poison came in second. Um... 
So apparently he was one of several who came near death. The Thomas Hicks. This is the rat poison guy. What were you gonna what was your question there, James? How so what happened to everybody else to <laughs> allow the person who poisoned himself to come in second? Um yeah, okay, so well William Garcia, who was also American and competed in the nineteen oh four Summer Olympics, did not finish. He made it nineteen miles before he started coughing up blood on the side of the street. This is the guy that ripped open his esophagus. And a passing, some dude on the street found him in a pool of blood and took him to the hospital. And he lived. But, no, Thomas Hicks, the rat poison guy, lived until 1952. Like, he was, uh, like, roughly about 75 years old when he died. So, did this Olympic... So, Brock, do you know when the Olympics, we start holding them again? <laughs> Wait, th- like, this year's? No, 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 like, in general. Because I know, like, so the Olympics were a thing from Greece, obviously. Yeah. And then yeah. we didn't have an Olympics for, like, 1,800, 2,000 years. And then... Boom, we brought it back. No, I'm not sure. Okay, I I can only imagine this was like Uh, right after. The first Olympics was held in 1896. Right. Like the first Olympics. Okay, so this is eight years after they brought the Olympics back. This is the third ever modern Olympic. So clearly they had no idea what they were doing. Nope, (laughs) they had no clue. Do you know the story behind uh, the marathon, by the way, either of you? Yeah, like how marathon came about? Yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with it, but I mean, if you want to tell it, go for it. Yeah, so basically, um, during the first invasion of Greece by the Persian Empire, um, Darius landed his army at Marathon, and um, then, you know, landed part of his army, tried to sail around. There's a bunch of details I'm not going to bore you with, but basically the Greeks won um, the Battle of Marathon and then sent a dude back to Athens to let them know that they won and it was like in it's the distance of whatever a, ma- a marathon is 26 miles 26.2 as 26 something i knew that um so he ran there without stopping and got into the middle of the, the town square in athens yelled nike for victory and then collapsed dead and so he died he died he died okay sounds good yeah he took rat poison to get there faster <laughs> there <you go. laughs> <laughs> rat poison makes you run faster Confirm. i mean the guy came in the guy technically won so we can't say that yeah. it didn't work we can't he did, say that he it did get work. awarded the medal we so can't say it didn't work yeah, you can't say afterwards won. haters are gonna say rat poison doesn't work as a pre-workout uh yeah. that guy said differently so i don't know you, i, you I can confirm that. that rat poison is gonna help but that i'm oh. like that's not the end uh, comment below if you're going to try rat poison your next workout and let us know how that goes for you. For the love of God, please do not try rat poison your next workout. <laughs> James Jacobs is endorsing and asking you. I am, abs- I am endorsing nothing. I am endorsing <laughs> caffeine and that is it. Um, okay, so so the last thing I want to say about this, this Olympic, uh, but we can return to it, of course, if we want to. Uh, I never want to go back to 1904. Definitely. Uh, so the fourth place finisher... Um, who was running in again dress pants and dress shoes uh was cuban and raised money to to attend the olympics by running the entire length of cuba he then proceeded to gamble away all the money when he arrived in the states and showed up for the race in dress clothing and another runner used knife a knife to cut his pants into shorts for him uh during the race he stopped at a roadside snack <laughs> And then the apple were so rotten that he got struck with stomach cramps and took a nap. And he came in fourth. How many people competed in, the, in this marathon? How many people competed in the yeah. marathon? What was the starting number compared to the finishing number? Uh, that, that is a good question. <laughs> I will uh, go ahead and look that up. Um, how many people ran in the 1904 American. Let's see. Uh, uh, 651. Uh, of that number, 526 were American. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, St. Louis apparently was so remote that most countries didn't bother to make the trip. Only 12 countries participated and only Germany, which had 22, and Canada, 56, sent more than a couple of athlete, athletes. 
A single French competitor participated with only two from Switzerland and Australia. Or Austria, sorry. Uh, there also may or may not have been one Italian, two Norwegians, and one from Newfoundland, which was not yet a part of Canada at the time. But record-keeping was bad enough that this is in dispute. <laughs> Love it. That's great. That's really funny. So, so, this, and the picture. Okay, James, I'm going to send you the picture. Okay, okay. Um, so, put it... Pull pull this up for for everybody. Um, that is the dude that ran in dress clothes. <laughs> is that not more not early nineteenth or early twentieth century, or not? Oh my god! All right, I'm I'm opening it up now. All right, perfect. Then after that, I've got probably one of my favorite stories about World War Two. That's all right. That's all right. Ooh. Is, okay, all right, here you, you know go. About... Here's the dude who ran in just clothes, apparently. Um, yep. Not going to lie. It's a good-looking dude. <laughs> that fit is great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... What was his name? I'm going to pull him up, too. Ooh. What was his name? Uh, his name was... Uh, da, da, da. Where where was I? Where did I have that list? Um, his name was Andrin Carbajal. Yeah, no, I'll just have James send me the picture later. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, right, so cool. uh, the Twitch chat has informed me of an Olympics fun fact, if you guys want to hear it and hear me sure. pronounce uh, Greek names and fail miserably. All right. So, Wiener Schnitzel 60 says, Olympics fun fact. Uh, Arhaktion um, won a wrestling match by killing himself. When he was contending for the Wild Olive with the last remaining competitor, whoever that was, the uh, latter got a grip first and held Arachian, hugging him with his legs, and at the same time, he squeezed his neck with his hands. Arachian dislocated his opponent's toe, but expired due to suffocation. But he, he, the person who, su- who suffocated him was forced to give in at the same time because of the pain in his toe. As a result, the dead dude won. <laughs> All right. Well, then there you go. There you go. Uh, so all you have to do, all you have to do to win races is take a rat poison. All you have to do to win wrestling matches is dislocate your opponent's toe and die. Yeah. That's crazy. They, they, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Hey, whatever it takes. I mean, all right. I like, I like these, I like these fun facts that we're getting. It's, uh, that's great. Thank you. Wiener schnitzel 60. (laughs) <laughs> the best the best facts truly <laughs> um so, so this is my favorite story in world war ii and i've talked about this a lot uh so this is the polish army enlisting a bear named white uh Wojtek. Oh, yeah i know this one too yeah this is great yeah. um <laughs> another picture for you you can put this up here if you want to see uh Wojtek. i think everyone wants to see a bear Let i believe know. that's how we pronounce it um effectively this guy uh they were in i believe iran at the time and uh, a local boy brought them a bear cub, and I thought it was cute, so they enlisted him. And they were going to bring him back, but they weren't allowed to have pets. So, or rather, they didn't enlist him at the time. At the time, they were just caring for him. And they weren't allowed to have pets when they came back from that deployment. So they actually made him a private. He rose to the rank of corporal, I believe. Um, he was given his own paybook, serial number, and rank, um, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> Um, he also slept with the other soldiers in bunk beds and is very fond of beer and cigarettes. And he actually like helped the war effort because he would transport what is effectively supplies that would require four men to transport. And he would just do it by himself because he's, he's a fucking bear, man. So you, wait, you said this is World War One or World War Two? World War Two. This is World War Two. Okay. So following that, he actually uh, retired and was in the Edinburgh Zoo where he lived until he was 21. And he was just a boss the whole time. It was great, and he became uh, like their their like mascot for that division, and uh, it was actually pretty cool. Uh, it's one of the better stories I think coming out of World War Two. It's a little you, lesser known one, but it's interesting. Could you go to the zoo and pay like two dollars to give the bear a beer? Or uh, so actually, what happened? You're not left far off. <laughs> <laughs> so what ended up actually happening was former members of that battalion or whatever would go visit him and give him cigarettes and he would eat them. 
Uh, okay, so when you said he liked beer and cigarettes, I legitimately thought that he was smoking the cigarettes. Say, I just the beer like cigarettes. Um, but I could be I could be wrong on that. Uh, I'll I'll look it up to see find out exactly. Um, I want to know what the bear spent his money on. Yeah, he ate the cigarettes. Yeah. Um, the bear spent his money on. Yeah, he was also a frequent guest on BBC's uh, television Blue Peter for children. <laughs> that was uh, apparently a show that was going on at the time. So uh, I'm, and... just, I'm just confused how the Germans managed to win the war if against Poland if uh, they I mean, had a bear. Man, uh, Wojtek means uh, happy warrior, and it's like little happy warrior, basically. Um, but he so when he was young and he was being raised he was fed condensed milk from an old vodka bottle given fruit marmalade honey and syrup and beer <laughs> when he was like yay big new league of legend character should be based on this guy that's what i'm saying uh, that it's it's pretty cool um so he actually he actually moved through the entire war like the entire part of the 22nd company's deployment and he was with them um and he basically just did all the kind of th- all the kind of stuff that the other soldiers were doing so it was it was very interesting. Um, so wait, he he survived the whole you know Germans occupying Poland and all that. Yeah. Um, I, as far as I know, I so what I'm looking at here was he was involved in the Battle of Monte Cassino, um, which was in Italy. Yeah, um, the accent wasn't necessary, but yeah. Yeah, but it was in Italy, and he this is where he comes in. He was carrying a hundred pound crates of artillery shells. Never dropped a single one, but that would require like multiple men to do. So he was just doing it by himself. And apparently, there's stories of the enemy looking at looking at the fact that a bear was fucking firing artillery shells at them, and they're like losing their mind because they're just because you know you don't necessarily see everyone involved there, but you see a fucking two hundred pound bear that's like six foot nine walking around, and they're like. Poland has enlisted a bear to shoot artillery shells at us. I think we're screwed. I was like, guys, we got to We're back to Berlin. Like, we got to go. We got to go. This it's- service actually got him recognition and a medal, and he was or he. That's when he got promoted to the rank of corporal. So he actually outranked a lot of human people. So people, like, he was an NCO to a bunch of privates. Imagine, <laughs> imagine showing up one day and just being like, "Who do I report to, sir?" Uh, the bear over there. Yeah, the bear with the artillery shells and the bear. So, and it's, it's not it's it's not just the Polish that were actually reporting this. The British that were with the Polish came back and said, "Oh yeah, no, like there was a bear loading artillery shells." <laughs> Which that, I think is the best part. It's a good. I'm surprised and impressed. Like, in, if when Poland was taken over, a lot of zoos were also kind of taken over as well for a lot of different reasons. Like Hitler wanted the exotic animals in some cases, but also for like animal testing. And yeah. then they would also take like more of the livestock type thing, like say like gazelle or wildebeest, for example, and try yeah. to mass breed them to get more meat for their army. Hmm. That's I, interesting. I'm guessing the gazelle and wildebeest don't exactly, you know, survive very well in the German winters, but no. But they they would mass they would try to mass breed. They did a bunch of genetic experiments to try to get different. Yeah, they were trying okay. to bring back old extinct species as well. It was crazy. To be yeah, fair, but- it's is one of the things it's scary how much of our modern science is thanks to really really messed up nazi yeah. experiments oh yeah absolutely the entire space program for one that's not so well, much messed up experiments but it was one, one, of, one of the sadder things for for dinosaur lovers like myself was the only known complete oh, spinosaurus spinosaurus was in a museum in in i think it was munich that was bombed by the british yeah so it's gone now, and that's just really sad. There was also I mean, one in Cairo, though, wasn't there? It came from Cairo. Ah, okay. Yeah. I knew I knew Cairo was involved somehow. We have pieces of a Spinosaurus skeleton, which is why we're able to know so much about it. But unfortunately, the more complete specimen is is now gone. Well, it's a good thing we took the thirteen colonies way before. So. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so that that's that is one of my one of my more favorite uh, World War II stories, I would say. That, that is that. that is a good World War II story. That is, it's a nice little one. Uh, Brock, what's your what's your favorite World War II story? Favorite World War II story? Oh, uh, the end where we fucking win? No, um... <laughs> <laughs> where we crush us? Where we crush up? No, 
I don't. That's a good question. I really like. Do you know about the start of World War One with Archduke Ferdinand? Like uh, all the I'm issues surrounding it. it? Do you yeah, know, like I think it's I think it's comical. I know you asked for World War Two. World War Two, my favorite aspect, and not even a cool story. My favorite aspect of World War Two is the Navajo Code Talkers. I think the Navajo Code Talkers are so cool. But, oh yeah, absolutely. On the American side, for sure. Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. But for like these guys were like nobody. Like I don't know. One of the guys, I, I forget his nickname. It was something Joe, like Big Joe or something Joe. He was one of the only Navajos that was taken prisoner and the Japanese couldn't break him. Like they were trying to figure out the code and stuff and they couldn't break this dude. Like they did so much stuff. And he knew that the, the thing that kept him alive is he knew that if he could endure all this torture, if he didn't break that they wouldn't kill him because they needed him alive to get the code from him. And he ended up surviving coming back, but they did the most messed up things. Like they, they would have him go and stand out like on mountainsides, like bare naked where his skin on his bottom, his feet would literally freeze to the ground and like break off and stuff. And he would endure all this. Cause he knew if he told them how to break the code one, it would screw over the U S and his comrades. But secondly, that he, that he knew he would die as well if he broke in. Like, oh yeah. Anything. Like you're only going to be live long enough as, as like they need something from you. you know? Yeah. So I, I could talk about the novels all day, but this well, well, here's actually a sad thing. Uh, if you want to like know this about Navajos is, um, <laughs> That just in general uh, for Native Native Americans, the poverty rate on reservations for Native Americans is twenty points higher. Not twenty percent, twenty points higher. So like sixty percent as opposed to forty percent, right? Compared to Native Americans that are are integrated into society, it's like really sad. I've I've actually gone on a uh, on a mission trip to uh, it's like Turtle something. It's up in North Dakota. It was uh, it's an Indian reservation, and like it's like pretty bad because they get all their federal funding is kind of like squandered, and they can't get any like tax dollars or anything like that to build roads and everything. It's all run by the tribes, and the tribes don't care, uh, or at least the tribe chieftains don't care about the people, and they just kind of like are just left to fend for themselves because the United States government has agreed to not get involved. And it's just a really sad situation. It is absolutely, especially when they did so much. Well, one. Oh there. yeah, especially so- when they. It helps so much, like, you know, ignoring how the country was founded, the Indians have actually helped a significant amount, and it's really sad to me, personally, that we just were like, yeah, you guys fend for yourselves, uh, rather than integrating them into society and, like, giving them the fruits of our collective labor, effectively. Well, know? so explain how the the relationship between the United States federal government and the reservations work. Because I've always been really, really fuzzy on that because, I mean, there's also the state governments where the, you know, the states where the reservations are located needs, you know, that needs to be considered. So how does the relationship work between federal, state, and tribal governments? So it's, I'm not like an expert on this and I haven't, I didn't prepare anything, but um, Congress effectively has plenary power over all in what is called Indian affairs. Uh, so these tribes will have the ability to retain important sovereign powers over their members, territory, uh, members and their territory, and they're effectively subject to Congress. And Congress, as with many things said, we don't want to do anything, really, so we'll just give you lump sums of money, and you just figure out what you want to do with it, because we just don't want to handle this as, a, as an actual issue. Do you know, uh, was, this, was this legislation, was this, like, is this more recent, or is this all, like, old, like, Jackson, like, administrative stuff? Um, so the most recent one is the 2000 uh, Executive Order 13175, uh, and it deals with consultation and coordination with Indian tribal governments. Okay, cool. Uh, and I believe that they still use the term Indian just to keep in uh, consort with how the terms are in like past legislation. Uh, previous legislation. Previous, yeah, uh, because, like, if they start calling them Native Americans now, it's going to be like, okay, well, it's messing up, like, how these documents are written. So they're well, doing it. Yeah, um, it creates legal loopholes that they don't want to exist. Yeah. So so the tribal powers that they have are inherent to the tribes, and they're not actually derived from the federal government, which is different from how states function. Um, and the Indian tribes themselves are considered domestic-dependent nations. Mm-hmm. And Congress does have the authority to then limit their sovereignty and court decisions have done so, particularly when it uh, comes in conflict with the economies of the states that these uh, reservations effectively reside in. And there's some really interesting stuff, particularly when it comes to uh, daylight savings. In Arizona, there's a reservation within a reservation within a reservation, and you could drive through it, and 
I think Arizona doesn't recognize um, daylight savings. And then as you go through, the the different like kind of sectors will or will not recognize daylight savings. And then like it's just you go up oh, an hour, up oh, an hour. You know, like it's just really weird. So um, wait, wasn't there wasn't there a Supreme Court case from last year that gave like half half of one of the states to one of the reservations? Um, not exactly. Um, you know what I'm talking that, about though. I know what you're talking about. It's in Oklahoma. Was Oklahoma? Uh, okay. Yeah, where I mean, that's where the, I think the majority of reservation land is. Sorry, um, I opened up this whole can of worms. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> um, that, that's absolutely fine. Uh, so if they they ruled that it's Native American, but that didn't really effectively change anything. I don't think from like what they actually have done and i think it was a dumb decision because it's just from the like actual de facto rep, like way that it's it's run nothing's changed um they basically said that we just need to honor a 150 60 year old treaty and it's like um the, I, whatever there was legislation to supersede that though right yeah it was it, there was something and it's just like yeah it, it's it's weird it's a very weird court case and i didn't follow it super closely because i was just like nothing's gonna change um well i remember everyone freaking out like does the supreme court just give away half of a state yeah well if they try to do that i'm pretty sure oklahoma would just say no i mean yeah i mean oklahoma you know, has a national guard the reservations don't but i mean but this does get into uh like the relationship between the federal government and the tribes is that the tribes are actually beholden to the federal government and not the states that they reside in. Um, and since the night, like 1960s, uh, the federal policy has been essentially um, legislation to permit tribes to manage their affairs more and more and more. Um, so effectively went from more management from the federal government of these tribes, similar to how like states and stuff, to basically them saying, yeah, you guys are just drained on our finances. We're going to let you do what you want to do. Um, which is not never a good thing, because to be integrated into the greater economy is significantly better. And that's with the statistic that I was mentioning earlier of the mm -hmm. 20 points, roughly-ish, more uh, more poverty in these areas. Well, just, I mean, autonomy is good to a certain degree. It's good, but like when you know we're just incentivizing drinking and gambling on your land, you know, it's never going to be a good result. Well, yeah, but I mean, you look at the other, you at the opposite end of the spectrum. I think that you have not enough autonomy with. The yeah, states. but like, imagine, imagine if these reservations are just treated like any normal American city. Yeah. You know, like, that's kind of where I, what I think the solution is, really. Because I think sending them pallets of cash has not worked since the 1960s. But it's hard, though, because you mentioned that they're considered sovereign nations. Exactly. That's the problem, is that it, it's like saying to someone that you know can't take, like, like a heroin addict, and you know they can't take care of themselves. And you're just like, listen, I don't want to get involved in this. I don't want to touch this because it's like the, it's like a third rail of politics. Uh, because anything, anything the federal government does is going to be viewed as an overreach, even though it's might very well be necessary to help these people uh in a lot of ways Wh whatever party does it is going to get railed by the other party as a way of trying to take back power mm -hmm. and they're basically just handing checks to somebody that they know is going to abuse the money and it's it's not the people it's the chieftains right but i mean uh, i don't think i don't think the federal government would do a much better job yeah and and the the thing is though is that anything the federal government does have to be run by the tribes the recognized tribes specifically but like any impact of plans projects resources anything like that has to be uh run by the tribes and approved by the tribes for them to do anything um so if, if anyone's seen the movie wind river this is why there's the problem in wind river um you know it where where this this girl gets killed effectively and they the federal government is hamstrung in actually trying to fix or solve the murder because of how this happens. And this is this like murder and crime is super common on these reservations just because there's no enforcement because the federal government can't mm -hmm. like going to Canada and trying to enforce something. That's definitely how it's treated. Gotcha. We're sending pallets of cash to them. You know, I mean, we send, uh, we send pallets send of cash to everybody. To yeah. That's Absolutely. Um, everybody. But anyway, but, so back on back yeah, on topic. Right. 
Brock. Um, I'm gonna throw Hopefully it over that was lightning for you, Brock. <laughs> it was, yeah. I didn't know as much about that. I'm going to throw it over to you here in a minute. But first, I want to say chat, YouTube, Twitch, if any of you guys want to uh, throw in your favorite moments of history, anything stupid, just throw it in the chat. We'll read it out here at the end. Um, Brock, what do you got? What Any leftovers from the other night? I got a few leftovers. So going backtrack in World War One. And I don't know a ton about this. I've been told this multiple times. I'm like, ah, it sounds a little sketch, but I read into it. Like, okay, it's legitimate. Mm -hmm. uh, the assassination on Archduke Ferdinand. You know, there was like two, three failed attempts before they actually succeeded that same day. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh I think it's a whole story. Oh, it's hysterical. Just them throwing, the first guy goes and throws a grenade effectively at the driver. And the driver literally swats away this grenade. And like a bunch of other people die. Archduke Ferdinand's fine. They keep driving, and I forget which guy dies. One of them dies while being chased, and I forget um, which one, whether it's the first attempt or the second attempt later on. Uh, one of them dies running away, and they go and jump off a bridge into what they think is a river, but it's really effectively like a half foot to a foot deep worth of water, and the guy like kills himself or, or breaks his legs and gets caught. I don't remember, uh, but just a mess. And then the other guy had effectively like given up on finding Archduke Ferdinand, and he's at like a cafe getting yeah. lunch. Yeah, walks out, and what's ironic though, I don't, one thing that a lot of people don't know is that the driver made a wrong turn. The driver wasn't even supposed to drive down that way. The driver was supposed to go a different path, made the wrong turn, and then gets killed by the guy in the sandwich shop. So that's a more common known one, but I, I always like that one. I think it's fun. That it is, is a good one. That is pure, pure fate right there. Multiple ones is bound to happen. Oh, yeah. Do you guys know who uh, William the Conqueror is? William I the sure do. You do? I love him. He's hysterical. I don't Do you know. know I... Me? Um, yeah. I'm not super familiar with it. Okay, I so I, I don't know a lot of his background story. The big things that you need to know, which why I think he's hysterical, is his his uh, father royalty, but his mother was a tanner. And for those who don't know what a tanner is, that's somebody who works like different hides and like skins. And so when he comes into power and he's like leading his armies a bunch of other nations would make fun of him and mock the fact that he was a bastard and mock the fact that his mom was a tanner and they would hang deer skins over their walls and bang on him and stuff to taunt him and would literally provoke him. And then he would just completely demolish those cities. And he would start by, he had a lot of really good tactics. Like one of the main things he would, and this is common throughout a lot of different wars, but he would send men all around the like uh, woods around the area and have light multiple fires to make their army seem much larger than it was. And then he would be like, Hey, if you surrender, we'll like, if you surrender, we'll like be peaceful with you guys. And then he would just slaughter them all. Or what he would do is anybody that he found outside of the walls, he would capture them, uh, cut off their private parts and catapult the privates loosely into the city that's just to taunt to get them back so it was they were memeing on him with the tanning hides making fun of the fact that he was a bastard and instead he would take his catapult and launch the different scouting parties uh testicles over the walls back at them so that's messed up yeah a lot of people you'd be surprised i forget the exact number because i learned about this forever ago i think my junior year of college is when i learned about this uh thanks to dr lacourt but, oh, oh yeah i love him i love him yep, so he's much. awesome yep and apparently like the number of like cities or um that would just surrender to william the conqueror because they were so intimidated by him knowing the things that he would do if they didn't surrender so yeah people uh people didn't mess with william the conqueror that reminds me of the werewolf with the trebuchets and like the scariness stuff oh yeah oh. yep i like the werewolf it's <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's actually a tactic that you see Genghis Khan use too, where, you know, just. Genghis or Genghis? It's Genghis. Well, technically it's Chinggis. Genghis or is it Genghis? It's Genghis. It's Genghis with C H, is how you would pronounce it. Sorry, what? Um, but anyway, yeah, so Chinggis Khan would attack cities, and uh, just like you mentioned with William the Conqueror. He would completely destroy a city, burn it to the ground, every man, woman, children, dead. Completely level the city, erase it from existence. Erase, destroy records with its existence, gone completely from history. And then all the, you know, but all in the, in the, for the purpose of making sure that the next four or five cities would surrender because they're like, oh, I mean, what's the point in holding out if we're going to completely yeah. get erased? You know, because once yeah. the siege starts, there's no mercy. You either surrender at the beginning, or we're wiping you from the, from the face of history. Yeah, 
if you could do you see that too if you go back like biblically i think it was the assyrians wasn't it the assyrians yeah. were the ones that yep. nobody wanted to mess they do the exact same thing yeah, the assyrians are one of the cruelest the empires in history uh yeah they were awful um, what did they do? what's that what, I'm not familiar with the Assyrians at all. So the what Assyrians they... ruled oh, yeah, by enslaving entire populations. They would transport them. Oh, okay. They would transport them to different parts of their empire. So if they would take over, for example, if they took over uh, modern day Damascus, they would then, which I think is is that where their capital was. So that's a bad example. But uh, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, but so they would take over an area and then kill all the men, enslave the women and children, move them to a different part of the empire, and then conquer another area, kill the men, and then enslave the women and children, move them to where the other area they had just conquered. So completely destroyed cultures and made them entirely dependent on the Assyrian state. And they collapsed due to the Bronze Age collapse, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, yes. the Phoenicians. But uh, compare that to... And this is why Cyrus, um, the, the first Persian emperor, was... Oh, like even even in the Bible, he's referred to as uh, Cyrus the Great. He's there. They, the Jews looked on him very favorably because he he um, allowed religious tolerance and didn't mess with cultures, didn't enslave large numbers of people, ex- with the exception of you know like defeated soldiers and stuff. Um, and that's why the Persian Empire was able to get so big compared to the Assyrians, Babylonians, Hittites before them, is because they were much more culturally accept you know accepted. Okay. Dr. Coomber, I don't know if you know him at all. He also is from Ambrose. Dr. Coomber knows a ton about the Assyrians. That's did you, did you just ask me if I don't if I know Dr. Coomber? Yeah, do you know yeah, Dr. Coomber? First off, first off, I have a theology minor. Oh, awesome. I know Second, you. I'm going to ask Dr. Coomber if he will marry Alina and I. So, yes, oh, I know dude, Dr. Coomber. Awesome. Ask him about the Assyrians. That's okay. where I learned from him about the Assyrians. I'm going to I'll ask him to put some stuff about the Assyrians into uh into the wedding ceremony. Nice. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> my my, my wedding is gonna be amazing. Dr. Coomber that I have is I sent him a picture with his face on a cucumber. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that in an email, and he liked it. He told me he thought it was funny. That is funny. That's awesome. So, all right. Happy. Before we wrap up here, we got a couple of comments here in the Twitch chat. Let me check the YouTube chat. Nothing. All right. So we got a couple here. Um, so there's a lot. Of, so Wiener Schnitzel 60 says there's a lot of great uh, moments with popes, um, insane stuff. Oh yeah, I know that one. Pope yep. Stephen. Yeah, Patrick can read the Twitch chat. Uh, pope Stephen the Sixth dug up the corpse of his predecessor and put it on. Tra- oh yeah, I forgot about this. He even had a cardinal <laughs> answer for the dead pope like a puppet. Patrick, as a resident Catholic, explain. I mean, Brock are Catholic too, but yeah. Uh, so, so um, popes are kind of like hit or miss. Uh, you never really. A miss. lot of times, to miss. A lot of time. Um, oh. I would argue our current pope is a little bit of a miss because he doesn't seem to have read Genesis. But, uh, <laughs> or, yeah, I think it was Genesis with Noah. In the I mean, Ark. At least he's not selling pieces of paper to get you into heaven. That's true. That's you know, it, it, the bar is very low to be a good pope, and I do think. Francis has hit that bar, like he's gone over it because he's not selling indulgences or doing this depraved crap. Or but, you know, uh, Rodrigo Borgia, like we were talking about on Wednesday. Who's that? Oh, Pope wait. Alexander the Sixth. Mm-hmm. Oh, he basically gave Cesare, his son, the papal army to conquer the rest of Italy and form a ah. new Roman Roman uh, Republic. Failed his son failed miserably. Because he didn't understand politics. He was a good soldier, but he didn't understand politics. The reason for my previous comment, though, about why I don't think that uh, Francis has read Genesis is because he was saying that God's going to send a second flood in the form of climate change. And I was like, that. he literally says in the Bible that he's not going to do that. Exactly. But you know, like... Constantly he says that in the Bible, I will not... this my rain, The rainbow mm-hmm. I'm putting in the sky is a promise to not send another flood like this. So I don't know where he's getting this crap from. I don't know. Uh, which is why, as a Catholic, you know, I have dubia, which is the nah, time. Jesus is going to pop out and be like, psych, I lied. The ocean is mine, and he's going to flood us again. The ocean. That's, 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 that's for all of our Zoomer viewers. That's for all of our Zoomer viewers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what I was saying, though, is is, is it's called dubia, where you're, where you're not, like, saying that the Pope's lying, but you have your doubts. Right, right. Well, I mean, and you know, your doubts about the Pope. Well, after, impossible. Well, the church is infallible. 
<laughs> we're gonna have okay. I want to have a podcast where we just talk about this. No, no name calling, no nothing. But I want you know, I want I want agnostic, atheist, Protestant, Catholic. Just discuss this because I don't think we know anyone else who would fit any other religions. I want a pastafarianist on here as well. I mean, my brother got married by a Dudas priest, so maybe he can talk about Dudism. I mean, I'm down for that. Speaking of Protestantism, by the way, the uh, other comment from Wiener Schnitzel was, or if you want to talk about Protestants, how Martin Luther had his revelation to start the Reformation while he was taking a dump. Yes, that, a, sounds like, that sounds like Protestantism. Everything good comes out of poop. As the, as the resident Protestant, I'm not sure if that's true. I'm not a Lutheran specifically, but I would not be surprised. I am a non-denominational Protestant. Oh, okay. So you're just lazy. Got it. No, 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 no. Okay. First off, first off, my church plays rock songs. So I got that going for me. Wow. Your church is a part of the world, not not necessarily separate from it, like Jesus said. Wow. Wow. Look at you go. Just want to be all hip and hip and cool, right, dude? If I want to listen, says the James person wants who... to listen to Nickelback and go to church. Let him do it. <laughs> says oh, no, the person, says the person I'm... who got married in a church where Jesus, where there was a picture of Jesus with a denim jacket on. Yes. Don't don't go there with me. <laughs> I can go wherever I want. I'm just saying. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it's wearing a denim jacket. That's that's fine because it's stylistic depiction of Jesus. If you're going to have a rock concert during Mass, I think that's a little bit different. Jesus, okay, first off, it's not called Mass. It's called a service. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're not even holding Mass. Like, come on. What, are you what do you mean to hold Mass? What, what does it mean to hold Mass? It's it's to, you know, do things. and It's to do things, <laughs> yeah. It's for Travis to forget to not realize that the, that the little um, bench is for him to kneel on instead. He just <laughs> he kneels on to the... <laughs> For so you got awesome songs like "This Little Light of Mine." Yeah, yeah. We've, we, we have we have "God's Not Dead," so I mean, I think our song's a little bit better. But anyway, no. For those of you in the chat who watch Travis's streams, he streams every day during the week at like I don't know, like sometime in the afternoon. It varies. Um, but we were at Patrick's wedding a couple weeks ago, and uh, someone mentioned how you know, all, you know, the Catholic mass was a lot of standing, kneeling, what have you. And there's these little benches that you can fold down from the pew in front of you to kneel on. Travis didn't realize this, and every time he got up and down, he kneeled on the <laughs> tile ground, on like the linoleum, granite, or whatever it is, ground. And so he walks over, and he's like, "Man, that that service. I, you know, I've never been in a Catholic service before, but my knees are killing me." I'm like, "Why?" And he's like, "Oh, I, th- I thought I was supposed to get on the ground every single time." <laughs> that, that sounds like a classic Travis moment. That is how God intended it to be. Good job, Travis. <laughs> Travis is a character. He is a barely functional human being who is a founder of a company. So that's sitting in. By the way, I'm getting I'm getting a message saying that we have Christian Rock at Holy Cross, Matt Maher, and I'm like, yes, that's why Holy Cross is not my favorite uh, church. <laughs> well i mean so there's good like skillet for example we don't play skillet in my church skillet, yeah skillet <laughs> Skillet is a fantastic one of my favorite things is i was dating a girl once and uh she didn't like so skillet's a christian band mm-hmm. and so yeah. i play skillet all the what time the only good christian band uh, they're not the newsboys newsboys is good yeah i like king and country no, I'm, I'm very, I'm yeah, yeah. Christian band. what's that I'm, i stand by my statement all right. I love Newsboys. I, I'll take I'll take James' side on this one. Thank like you, thank you. You were you ever go to Winter Jam? Patrick. Winter Jam was awesome. Mm-hmm. Winter Jam was like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, a bunch of Christian artists coming together. Skillet oh. was like all like Skillet was their closer a few times. Jason Mraz and Colby Calais played one time. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So I was dating her and I played I played Skillet all the time, and she would jam out to it whatever. And um, I met, I just happened to mention at one point, like, oh, yeah, this, this, they're actually a Christian band. She's like, no, they're not. And I, like, looked it up and showed her and everything. Instantly stopped liking Skillet. And I was like, this relationship's not going to last. I used to have a crush on the drummer, the red-haired drummer girl. Okay, that's Skillet. fair. That's fair. I, when I was younger. My, uh, my look is partially, partially influenced by how their uh, lead singer looks right now. My... Skillet? So, yeah. I thought it was influenced by like Nordic tradition or something. I mean, I said partially. I mean, where do you think he gets it? 
I don't know. Anyway. God. Anyway. God. Yes. Okay, if God came down looking like this. I'd, I'd be like, God, you need to fix your hairline. Uh, I would say God. I didn't <laughs> know Says God Vegeta over God. here. MC Widow's <laughs> Peak. Hey, Vegeta's really strong, okay? Hey, I should he just is. be bald for the next one. You should. Yeah, we're, we're, okay, ne next episode of Malcast, we're going to shave Brock's head. No, dude. Oh, we'll do it for we'll, we'll shave off we'll shave it off uh for every sub we get <laughs> for every sub <laughs> that uh i'm not sure how that we'll, works for every sub yeah there you go there you go all right i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna close this out here because we're we're at our time all right thank you guys for watching thank you brock for coming back on and patrick we're happy to have you back obviously um you really animate this place so uh yeah Anyway, oh, thanks. Of course. Anyway, um, yeah, go ahead and smash that like button. If you like this content, give us a, a subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Twitch, Gab, Minds, and Facebook. And uh, just so you know, we are live now on Spotify, iHeartMedia, and iTunes. Um, this episode will go up tomorrow, and then you can listen to it at any time on any of these platforms except for Twitch. And... Um, also, we've got a few more shows coming down the line. Um, Brock has agreed to join me in a mini-series on the U.S. Constitution and the amendments to that. So, first episode will be here in a few weeks. So, stay tuned for that over on YouTube. And thanks for watching, and have a good night. <laughs>